it's hard out there it's art is hard people think it's going to be so easy they have this dream i'm going to just like go in my studio and make all my shit and then they realize like you go to your studio there's two things right like you go to the studio make all your shit and you're just in a vacuum and no one ever sees it like you just wish you had a gallery yeah wish somebody would like notice you or you just want to talk about your work and then the other side the darker side is that when you get all those things that you always wanted it's like so shitty yeah like once every collector has one of your pieces it's like then there's nothing left fuck somebody said to me at an opening everybody that wanted to buy one of my pieces already bought one and that was like the saddest thing anybody could ever say Oh, it's not it's not even close to the saddest thing anybody could ever say but it, <laughs> For, it's a sad it, idea. Or, yeah in that context sure yeah. i guess we should qualify it yeah at an art opening first of all it's like horrible to be at like was it your art opening no it wasn't because was okay? that would be even worse like what an asshole it's like it must feel good to be on top but <laughs> don't get used to it wait it's a long hill down <laughs> Damn. Cammie, how many times since graduate school do you think you've almost quit being an artist? Well, I did actually quit being an artist for like three years. <laughs> Which is like when I met you, right? Yeah, I was kind of good. I had a way back in. Yeah, you know what? Here's I stopped making art. I couldn't, I was having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And I was going through like a lot of really, 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 really dark shit, like stuff that nobody should have to experience all at one time. Like I lost both my parents, I had my sister, divorce, um, lawyers, homelessness, like you name it. I like went through it. And so I just couldn't take it. So then, but I never stopped teaching ceramics. <laughs> I wasn't making anything. I would just show up and teach this class. And then every time this class, the class came around, I'd be like, why the fuck am I fucking teaching this class? Because it's only worth it if you're like in it. So Yeah, right. It's like one little tiny, tiny little toe in it. So I had a full-time job that wasn't in the arts. And then I got a new job that wasn't in the arts. And I had a week in between jobs or two weeks. And I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? And then I just went to the studio for two weeks straight. And it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. And then I had to go to this job. And I was like, fuck. But now that I make art again, I actually feel like a normal. I feel like this is what I was always meant to do. Was there like a normal person when you weren't working in the arts? Like when you, because sometimes I think if I, if, if I stopped working in the arts, I would be like, I'd be like, oh, all right. And I'd like like iron a shirt in the morning, you know, and put it on, and I'd be like, "Hello!" I'd be like, wave to the neighbor on the way outside, <laughs> and like, and I'd see someone like you, and I'd be like, "Cammy, it's great to see you. <laughs> How have things been?" <laughs> you know what's the worst part about it? Here's the like, I don't know if this is the worst, but if I saw someone that knew my work. And they'd be like, oh, are you still making work? I'd be like, oh, no. <laughs> and it's disappointment. They would just be like, oh, shit. Like, 
the disappointment is like unbearable to see someone's face when you're like, nah, I don't do that now. I was like, what the fuck happened? I was going through, I think old Instagram messages, like clearing stuff out. And I had gotten one from a friend from college who was like a guy that I would see. I would like, I wouldn't go skiing with him all the time, but I would see him skiing all the time, which was like, I cared about skiing way more than school. And he, we like exchanged a couple messages and then I didn't respond to the last message that he sent. And it was because he, at the end, he just asked like, you still skiing much these days? (laughs) Just like too sad to be like. (laughs) Yeah, you're like. Not at all, actually. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that sucks, right? Yeah. Huh. Do you so, have to disappoint people that much very often? It happened a couple times. There was like, yeah, it happened a couple times that I was like, I felt like, oh, wow. I mean, I don't really know. It's hard to say, like, facts aren't feelings, as what crew always says, you know? Yeah. And I never thought, like, just because I wasn't really making anything for a while, I just couldn't. Like emotionally, I just couldn't. There's no way. There was nothing inside me that could produce a thing. Did you feel like you were done with it though? Or did you just, or was it like not a conscious thing? You were just like moving through the world, like trying to. You know what I did? So I had stopped making anything and then I like had really stopped. And so then I told crew that he needed to, he needed a hobby and then I was like, you should start a motorcycle clothing company. I'll do all the designing. Oh. And so I basically designed a whole t-shirt line and then patches. And then I took a, like, I took a graphic design class and then I took a typography class. And so then I started like, just like making really satanic motorcycle shit. Yeah. So that's how that happened. So people would be like, what are you working on? I'd be like, death. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it was really like a good way to like make stuff without the pressure of making having to make art, which was yeah. a lot of pressure. Yeah. I know right now at my job, I get to like work with our friend Sarah Allwine to design this dinnerware line. And it's, and like, yeah, it's really nice to focus on just making a nice thing that I want to see in the world that doesn't have to like be part of my body of work and like fit in with other pieces in a show. Like it's really, yeah. Yeah, That's actually so fun. Yeah. It's so fun to just like make something stress free, free, stress free. Yeah. So like that just like you enjoy. That's one thing about graduate school a little bit that happened to me. It was like, and I was talking to a friend that we both sort of experienced this thing in graduate school where we stopped enjoying actually making anything. So every piece was so labored emotionally that by the time you actually made it, it wasn't fun to make. Yeah. I didn't have much fun in grad school. No, grad school's not fun at all. Yeah. But then in retrospect, it's like the best time of my life. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Oh, I know. It's like, I like that though. We're like the worst people for to give like to give advice. What could we possibly give advice on? <laughs> like going to grad school, it's fucking terrible. 
but it was the best time of my life. It's like uh, ceramics, fucking terrible. You have to look at the worst crap. Yeah. Ceramics is hard because it like, it really like, it can be so good when it's good. You know, and, and, and working in community studios, we get to see so often people having those first moments of joy with it where like when they're throwing, it's like they like throw their first pot or they like get a piece out of the kiln that, that they're really proud of. And you gotta, you gotta see it and it's like a kid on Christmas. But my like, you know, demented brain of so many years of just being disappointed is like, just wait, like you <laughs> savor that now, cause just wait. <laughs> Your next piece is going to fucking crack all over, buddy. Just wait until you think you got it nailed and it's over. I really, honestly, for a second, I was like, this is genuinely like, you know, when, when you start saying something like genuinely sweet and heartfelt. And then I was like, oh shit, you really turned it around. I was like, going to be like, oh, he's being really like raw emotionally right now. And then you're like, no, it's going to fucking I am like, I'm a little raw right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are people are coming back into into the studio you know for the first time since like covid since march yeah um, and it's like it's actually really really sweet to see so many people show up that haven't been there for like four months or whatever and like they're just so excited like we had one person show up a week before they were supposed to and they were just like so pumped like, even though they couldn't come and work, they were like, oh, I'm just so happy to see the space. Like, it's <laughs> so nice to see the space again. And like, which is such a sweet, it really is, you know, but I know everything's different. When, like, when you're doing it every day, it's just always, it's always going to be a different thing. But, um, yeah. It's so weird. Like, when you, it's a weird life. Like, the life that you and I live. Yeah. I and mean, even though I'm older than you, I mean, it's very, we like, you know, super parallel, like what it's kind of, I never thought that just because I watched a Potter in high school, I never thought that it would like lead to this. Yeah. Like it's almost like I'm obsessed or. Yeah. Well, it's funny too, like, cause you did teach at a, at a college. Yeah. University. What's pra pra I taught at a college and Academy? university. Summer camp? Perhaps yeah, it was, summer. A, <laughs> it was a summer camp for... <laughs> no, but I, I feel like, yeah, I always just felt like that was like the path. You know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to keep making art after graduate school, you sort of had like a couple years maybe, and then it was like get a college teaching job, and that's, that's sort of like the future. Yeah, um, but if you want to live in New York, then that's only yeah. six people's future. Yeah. I mean, there's only six teaching jobs yeah. in New York City. Yeah, I know, but it, it's, yeah. Full-time teaching jobs. It's kind of nice to see how many different, like, ways there are to just, like, stitch things together and keep doing it. I think you're right. Like, it's, you can, you, if you, like, want it to happen, it'll happen. You can't, you know, like, you can't really, you have to, like, trust yourself that everything's going to be okay, even yeah. though it's, like, sometimes not. It's probably not going to be. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not saying it's probably not going to be, Gus. Jesus. I'm saying it's, like, maybe not at that moment, yeah. but eventually. Yeah. 
I think like another cool thing that we've just been seeing a lot of over the past couple of years is people picking at picking up ceramics and like carving out a spot for themselves that like didn't start in high school and didn't go to undergrad and grad school for it and like are picking it up at different points and figuring out ways to just like you know either make it like a really serious hobby which you see a lot of or like people that push it further into like you know they're like full-on side hustle and then I feel like every now and again we get to watch people that are kind of like straddling the lines where it's like they still probably have a job or like a part-time job yeah and they're like are trying to figure out how to make this more of their thing yeah it's really it really gives people a purpose especially I don't do I'm not sure if I've talked about this before but like a lot of people in the community centers that are retired and like come take a class and then it's like their new life and also yeah. like if you're working let's just say you retire from your job at 60 whatever and then you like start working in a ceramic studio cup and then all of a sudden like you're working in the ceramic studio for like 15 years yeah like that's a real cook that's a giant commitment yeah like, that's i know real time i know and I, I started working in community studios like about a year after finishing grad school. And so like, I think I had really bought into that academic idea that like, that was the only path to like, like yeah. if you were to take it seriously, that was the way you went. And it took a while of just like meeting people that were like, oh yeah, I've just been taking classes here. You know, like I would see somebody's work and be like, this is amazing. Like, yeah, I've just been, you know, I've been in, you know, the Monday morning class <laughs> the past 10 years. And like I did two workshops at Anderson Ranch and like I just 10 years ago. Out. Yeah. And <laughs> that's like, so crazy. It's so, yeah. It's so cool. It's that's actually, that's actually so inspiring. It's actually more inspiring, you know, than just like, well, than what? I mean, it's pretty inspiring. That's all. That's the end of it. I mean, I, I guess it's, yeah. Like if, you know, if you're like an artist that feels like you can't make work, like there's all these people that just do it. Yeah. They just do it. Yeah. I think that the heat is getting to my head and we're making too sentimental of a podcast and people are going to hear it and they're going to be like, who, who dubbed in over? I know. What the fuck happened? What are we making the intro for right now anyway? Alex Reed. Ooh. Okay. I have to tell you something about this this interview we did with Alex Reed. As soon as it was over, I was like flying. Yeah. I felt like you a sense of euphoria. Yeah. We did it like maybe a month ago now. Yeah, a while. And things were like pretty like the news was just bleak. Like yeah. really like to the point where I almost like asked you if we could cancel we were i think we had talked about canceling we were like should we even do this i don't even know why we did it i think we didn't want to cancel because we we had never met him like neither of us knew him well enough to be able to cancel and feel like we were going to get him back another time do you know what i mean sometimes when you say you're going to do something you know if you don't do it it may never happen again yeah i felt like it was like that yeah especially because in my like Alex Reed in my brain is uh 
not the like kind person that he turned out to be. Like in my mind, he was like drove a sob and had like <laughs> wire firm glasses. And oh, and he was gonna talk some shit. He was just gonna like let me know on some stuff. You know, he was gonna be like, okay, listen. <laughs> Uh, and I was just really, really pleasantly surprised. And he has like my shared <laughs> oh, uh, love of Amy Santa Ferraro, who's like will be on the podcast eventually. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was really yeah, nice. It was really nice. Well, let's bring him on then. Here's our interview from a couple weeks ago with Alex Reed. Well, I wanted to, I reached out, um, in part, like, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, yeah, I've like, I haven't listened to all of the podcasts that you guys have put out, but I listened to, um, I listened to the one with Ian McDonald and I listened to the one with, um, Rebecca Manson. Yeah. Uh, And then I think I listened to the very first one. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, um, I, yeah, I, I like the point of view like I, there's this, like, I'm picking up on this, like, tone that is, like, it's, like, that I feel, that I feel, like, reflected in the way that I feel about ceramics. Like, it's this kind of, like, love and really deep hate, too. <laughs> yeah. And just a way of, like, talking about the, like, the minutia as, I don't know, it's just very complicated. It's, like, it can be a technical pursuit, but it doesn't have to be. And like, I don't know. I just, I just enjoy, I feel like I'm all like seeking, uh, um, whether it's like an audio format or a visual format or writing, just kind of like always like seeking out people that are trying to like, in kind of invent new ways to talk about, uh, the field, um, be it like formal or informal. And, um, yeah, I appreciate uh, what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank you. That's really nice. Like, I think you kind of nailed it. We, um, we wanted to make a podcast that like people that had no, that were just like starting ceramics would, could listen to yeah. and like Google things. Yeah. So we try to like keep it just technical enough that people would be able to Google it and see. And then yeah. sometimes we like don't care. Like sometimes we're just like, well, and then Gus and I, it turns out, and we didn't know, we don't like, we're not like, we haven't been friends forever, but it uh-huh. turns out that we can just bullshit forever about <laughs> Eddie Ridiculous. We, we used to teach on the same nights. So that was like how we met. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. And that was, because I think like, I'm really curious to hear about your background with ceramics, but like, for me, it was so like like deep like craft and like American post-war ceramics and things like that and it and then like I moved to Brooklyn like three or four years ago and it was like there were all these people doing stuff that I just didn't know about um and like they yeah it it just seemed like a big chunk of it was sort of missing totally yeah yeah I agree um yeah so yeah I mean I have a you know kind of formal background like I went to Alfred for undergrad. Um, where are you from? Where are you from originally? Cincinnati. From Cincinnati, Ohio. Yeah. Yep. Oh, oh whoa! Here we go. <laughs> yeah. 
Where um, are you? The most concerned. I'm from Cleveland. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. So it's like Cincinnati is like, you know, it's sort of like, it's, it's not like a nemesis city, but it is yeah. the most conservative city in the United States, arguably. What? But because of <laughs> Chris, yeah. So um, because of Piss Christ, right? In the uh, museum. Oh, so sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like the, the Contemporary Art Center there has, there's a lot of history with like um, Robert um, Maplethorpe's like exhibition was like protested like very heavily in like the 90s. Yes, it's like. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, like, it's a cross, it's kind of, I've always thought about Cincinnati, it's like the crossroads of like the North and the South. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. To me, that's how I feel about it too. Yeah. Even because Cleveland and Cincinnati are such different towns and it's shocking to know that they're in the same state. Yeah. They have like nothing in common. <laughs> yeah, I remember like growing up thinking that, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and I remember thinking like of myself as like fairly like metropolitan. I was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, um, you know, everyone here is like, you know, uh, educated, like sophisticated, kind. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, going away for a while and then coming back and you're just like these same neighborhoods and uh, little signifiers that you can like decode now that you've like gone out into the world and come back and you see like oh there's a lot of like beauty here but there's also like other, a lot of other stuff happening yeah uh, as on a side note um i was just in cincinnati like a couple like four or five years ago and it's there was like some german neighborhood it was we were actually in kentucky i think uh -huh. on the kentucky side and it was like adorable and so oh, yeah sweet. yeah Beautiful. Covington. Was that yeah, 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 yeah. Covington. Yeah, Cincinnati has like the largest con um, constellation of like Italianette style architecture, I think, outside of New Orleans. So, <laughs> like, it used to be quite an industrial town, and it, it still is, but like, Procter and Gamble is like a big industry there. So, there's a lot of, there was a lot of kind of like industrial patronage and things like that. And actually, like, Rookwood Pottery, um, like, yeah. Uh, you know, happened, and a lot of people talk about Rookwood as like the uh, like the birth of like American like art pottery, like um, studio ceramics. Um, so there's stuff, there's like some interesting like threads happening. Wait, I don't know anything about this Rookwood. Oh. Yeah, Rook, Rookwood pottery. Yeah, um, it was amazing in its day. Like it was started in I think the 1880s um, by these groups of women that would like paint China together and eventually became more formalized and like became a factory. And they made amazing, amazing stuff in their day. Like everything from, they did like these like really kind of intricate, like arts and crafts style, um, like vessels, very like collectible and like signed on the bottom by people who worked in the factory. Yeah. But then they also did incredible, architectural installate like architectural ceramics um and they went out of business in the 50s and reopened in like the early 2000s but like the the reincarnation is is bullshit like yeah. they have they have like the brand and they have they actually do have like a lot of the historic molds um like in storage but the work they make now is like not, not good um but the legacy is like really significant in terms of like american ceramics Nice. Okay. I feel like Heath is Heath is the only real Heath is the one that kind of 
did it the best way. Yeah, they did a really awesome job of uh, of like staying true to Heath did like a really awesome job of like staying true to like its core. Um, so yeah, I so after Alfred, I um, I like I was for a year. I was I lived in Minneapolis. I did like the Fogelberg Fellowship at um, the Northern Clay Center. Yeah, and um, it was fine. But like after, so my last year of Alfred, I took this uh, art history class with Ezra Shales, um, and and it was called Art as Industry, and um, it was really his like the thesis kind of that I picked up from the class was that like creativity. and art and design exist in many, many ways outside of like what we think of as like the artist's studio. Um, and one place that it exists, like um, that we can go visit is like a factory or like not every factory, but like a lot of factories are like the commercial pro- commercial production, whether it be like a sawmill or like a rock quarry or a ceramics factory that there's like, history there there's human stories there's design stories there's like technical stories so we would like in the class we would go and like interview interview people and make oral histories and um talk about the intersection of like industrial production human rights uh labor rights like economic systems and so that that sort of stuff got me like way more interested in working in the commercial world than like um than like having a studio on your own and kind of bouncing between like residency, like one residency to the other residency and like adjunct positions and stuff like that. Um, so after, after a year in Minneapolis, I went, I actually went to Rookwood and I just like sent them an email and I worked for them as a mold maker for a year. And I, I learned a ton. Like that was an amazing education um, because they had, they had like, financial backing um to like make things but they and they had this amazing pedigree and history but they didn't really like have like a robust technical skill or like a real clear design voice and so um and like i wanted to be like the art director of rookwood but i didn't i was like (laughs) i didn't really like know that that was a job um so i just emailed them and i ended up like in the mold room so i (laughs) (laughs) were you already a good mold maker at that point i was okay um i was okay i wasn't great you know i had like a solid undergraduate education in it um but i knew i knew like the i knew some like fairly important like that there were i knew that there were rules to it yeah and like i knew that like i was like oh i don't think you guys are like following the rules like you're making it a lot harder for yourselves so like everything from just like how they store the plaster to um, to like one of the biggest things was like they were making these like architectural corners. They would like extrude two pieces, these like profiles, they would extrude two pieces and try to make a corner and then all their corners were cracking and stuff. And I was like, I think there's this thing called like plaster sledging. And <laughs> And I didn't really, I just knew, I like saw a drawing, I saw a drawing <laughs> book sometime, but I like didn't really at that point have any experience with it. Yeah. And so it was really cool because like, I was like, I think there's a better way to do that. So let's, let me try it. So like, 
we like traced, we like cut the corn, cut the architectural corners and like found the profile and like traced it. And then, um, I just like with a pair of like shears and like a bandsaw or whatever, I like roughed out the pattern and then like would make this, the plaster like extrusions to make like the perfect model. And then I would, and then I'd make like a ram press mold. Um, and then, so we'd like ram press them and oh. like, all of a sudden, like they started working. Um, <laughs> and so stuff like that, these kind of like in the, in the technical weeds, but like really important. So like, it was, uh, it's rare that like as a student or like if you're working in like an art center or like a school, it's rare that, that you're not like what your knowledge gets to like change the way that like a business runs or like change, like make people's jobs easier and make better stuff. So, yeah. um, yeah, so that was cool. And then, so I did that for a year and then I like always kind of working on my own as well, like on the nights and weekends, like I had a studio, um, nearby and then, uh, I moved, I applied for to Heath. Um, so I apply, I was originally, I initially like moved to LA to work at Heath and I was like Adam Silverman's studio assistant. Oh, cool. Um, Who's Adam Silverman? He's an artist. Um, yeah, he's an artist that is in LA and um, he, in some ways is kind of, he took like summer school once at Alfred in like the nineties and then just built, has built a pretty significant career um, as a ceramicist. He's like shows with like Friedman Benda. Um, and yeah, he was like doing a lot of like textural glazes, um, you know, like fairly early on. And, um, so he was like an art director for Heath when I came to work for him. And then he left to, to just concentrate on his own work. And so I ended up staying at Heath for like five years, um, doing like design development and, uh, like artist collaborations and things like that and just working on my own on the nights and weekends as well. And like kind of the same thing that I did at Rookwood, I would like take things that I learned from Heath um, and like deploy them in my own work. And um, yeah, so just kind of like learning technical things and like learning about design, meeting people, just enjoying LA. And then I, I left Heath like two years ago and I've just been working on my own. Wow. I need you to come... And, um, I, was just, I was actually going to suggest <laughs> this. Um, one of the worst mold makers I know is Gus Hamilton. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I'm not good at it. But we, I can't go too far in depth because it's part of my job and my boss will listen to this podcast. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, the, the studio that I work at is, has like a dinnerware line that we've been making. Uh-huh. And, Mostly what I do is I make like a really shitty mold as uh-huh. like a prototype and then I ask somebody to do a better job for me to make the actual thing. <laughs> Sounds like it's working. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of, <laughs> I feel like it can be a trap. It can be like any time you become an expert in something, it can be a bit of a trap. Um, yeah. Cause then you're doing, you're paid to do that or yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. So, so, so true. I think, and I'm going to cut this out, but that for sure is true about Keith, Keith Simpson. Right. Cut it out. <laughs> like for 100%, like he is so brilliant and like he knows so much about materials now. Do you know mm-hmm. Keith Simpson? Do we? I know his work. Yeah, he, I know he his He wasn't work. there. Yeah. 
when you were there, he wasn't there yet, right? Correct. No. Yeah, he like knows everything you could possibly know about, you know. But it's also like now that he knows all that stuff, like he like it's just a barrage of people asking him. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. And, and you can never not you can never unlearn it. It's very difficult to like. It's like okay, what's the best way to make this one thing? And you're like, well, I know the best way, and that like that yeah. way is take me like two weeks and it can be very difficult sometimes to be like, or I can make it in the way that like I can make it in two days um, or like two hours and kind of it, it's, it's, it can be a bit of a trap for sure. Well, I think like one thing that seems to happen with your work is being someone that like is somewhat knowledgeable about ceramics. Like I know how, like when I look at some of the things like that, the chair and the stools that you were making that were like made out of those small, I'm guessing like cast pieces that fit together. Yeah. Like it just like hurts my brain to actually try and yeah. figure out how it all fits together and how it can support any weight. And like yeah. for someone that, that knows a lot about ceramics, like I get obsessed with it, but I really doubt that the general public sees like my brother uses this term nonchalant craft a lot, which is like, probably fits well with your work as like it is really well crafted but it doesn't seem like it's obsessed with that craftsmanship in any way yeah that's a very nice compliment because i try to i similarly like try to make work that um it's like if you know you know but yeah. like you don't have to know and um there's like treats there if you want to find them like if you're a, like a like a technical person but they they can be read in this in very, like the read is super quick for people who like aren't in the discipline as well and like i yeah i find myself gravitating towards that work that other that quality in other people's work too like i remember when i when i was an undergrad um it was like i feel like it was the the end of this era and i don't know like not, i don't want to like name names but like it was the end of this era of like this like fastidious like touching and like um getting these like layers of like slip and underglaze and decals and like refiring and um yeah this like and that just uh i i wanted i was like i want to be able to make work that like there's like this idea and um there's like you execute the idea and like the idea is very clear through the whole thing and it's not necessarily about like how much like labor even though there is a lot of labor but it's not like a celebration of like just that labor yeah. Well, so you were you were at Alfred while Trevor Bennett and Amy Santa Ferrara were both there. Yeah. 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 And I had I had Amy for professor for a year, but um, those two, like at the time, I remember just like looking at their thesis shows and just being like so blown away because it it was like the first people that I had seen that came from like a real like a serious ceramic school. And I'm sure that there had been others before it, but it, they were the first ones that I was aware of that like, that weren't making work that was like obsessed about its own like craftiness. Um, yeah. And like overworked, like Trevor's work was almost like seeing like cartoons or something. It was so great and just like refreshing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I had a similar experience. Like uh, Jordan McDonald had his grad show when I was an undergrad there and um, it, 
it was like a shockwave like that I felt like, and I don't know if everyone felt it uh, around me or if it was just me, but I was like, this is like really like what it like, I didn't really understand it for a while. And I was, I was like, what is going on here? But uh, yeah, I think about like his work quite a bit in like, he's really like using the wheel and using hand building and like using all of like the, the instruments of the discipline, but like, like putting them together in like a really uh, like interesting way. Do you know his work, Kimmy? I don't. I don't know it at all. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, you should. Um, he, he makes like mostly pots uh, and like some larger ones, some hand-built. I think mostly hand-built are like extruded parts, right? Yeah, I think it's yeah, mixed, yeah, hand-built. He, he throws, but the, somehow the way that he throws, like, he, it's like, uh, it's like a drunk bear, like went in and like, used the wheel. And, <laughs> and I know that he like, he like sets up the scenario to make his throwing really difficult. Like he'll use like really stiff clay or really soft clay or like not wedge the clay. Like he'll like throw a pot and then like smash it and then throw another pot out of the same clay. Like just kind of like treating, like mistreating the clay in a way to get at this quality of like, uh, not amateurness, but like unselfconsciousness, um, that I think is like very elusive for people who are, um, like experts. Um, like I know, like he looks at, there's this Japanese potter, like Rosanjin. He like looks at Rosanjin's work quite a bit and tries to like think about, you know, it's like a Rosanjin was a restaurateur who then had a really like sophisticated eye for, design um and he started making ceramics and like they were just like fired like right away like so yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah. i am thinking back to like around that 2011 time though when like from like 2000 maybe five six seven there were all these designers product designers that had learned how to make a simple mold and um and then they started like producing just like products yeah. um, for, for stores like um, not future perfect necessarily, but like, yeah, like future perfect, I guess. And, uh, matter. and so uh, like, so all these designers had like product designers were like, Oh, I can do this out of clay. And so then yeah. I feel like they started like making all these like kind of small cottage industries. Like you'd see like a really high designed birdhouse. Yeah. And, but the, but, they were still like really mediocre in that the their skill was like super limited. Yeah. So it would be like, you know, like some like really lofty idea and a really crappy product. And then it would became like this whole trend in, you know, ceramics yeah. at that time. So like it was all mold making, you know, yeah. like by 2013, it was sort of like quieted down, like all those little, you know, all those little cottage industries like West Elm came in and like, mm -hmm. like swooped up all those people and like mm -hmm. all those little ideas and like it all sort of yeah. like got disseminated into Crate and Barrel and like um, yeah. CB2 and like yeah. what else? You know, all those like stores. Totally. What I like about your work now is that you're sort of still doing a little bit of product design too. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm sort of like, oh, what's happening? Ah, uh, yeah, I mean, I love, I love, I love products and I like objects and like, 
um, design and like utility and um, yeah, like at at Alfred there was it was like okay you can make like a pitcher you can make a teapot you can make a plate you can make a cup you can make a bowl you can make a platter you know there's like these like ob- these like objects that are like approved to make <laughs> and um, and then there's like all this other stuff that like they don't that isn't really like part of like the discourse there and um so yeah i was just you know part of that is like i get really excited about like um open like i don't really want to make a teapot i don't make like teapots um and like i like teapots but um yeah just like thinking about other what else you can make and um yeah i think like i love design and um i think it it there's like a critical discourse in design that I think is really interesting that isn't, isn't really taught in a lot of like ceramic schools. Um, but like is really interesting to me and has like, um, important stories I think about like culture and production and ideas and technology, um, that I like want to engage with. Um, but then I also really like relish, like I enjoy the, the permission that like as an artist you can kind of just like bounce between ideas without needing to like rationalize them um and like it seems like your practice like sort of like you really like move maybe like through things and i don't know if it feels like you move to the end of something and then like start something else but um i was scrolling through your website before Mm. we hopped on this and like um like the international ceramics park yeah you know, and then it, like, it hops from, like, that to, like, the in support of books. Mm. Uh, and there's, like, some really great old pots from when you were an undergrad. Like, yeah. But I suppose it's also spanning, what, like, almost a decade. Yeah, I, gra- I graduated undergrad in 2011. Yeah. The International Ceramics Friendship Park was, like, a, a very big project for me, uh, <laughs> like, artistically. I love that piece so much. Thank you. So what happened? Like, can you talk about how, like, from concept to gallery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So, yeah, I've, I mean, the last, I would say the last, like, three years, um, I've been kind of obsessed with, um, like, academic architecture. um, And, like, you know, I'm, yeah, I get sort of obsessed. Like, so I've been like making friends who are like architecture, like young architecture professors and like going, like, like going to like architecture reviews and like, um, reading as much as I can. And I just, I'm still like working out what's there, like it, what in that field is like getting me. Um, but you know, there's this like, um, yeah, there's this, you know, of course, there's this idea in architecture of like master planning and um, like planned utopias and like, um, and I just thought a lot about how like, it's usually like, like architecture is like planned or designed and then like craftspeople build it and like live in it. And I just thought like, oh, that would be interesting if you like, like flip that upside down and like what would what would a city look like that was kind of like built um, by and for like potters? Um, 
so that was that was at play and then also just thinking about like after five years at Heath like the way that like um craft like the image of the craftsperson and like the ideals that we think of as like the happy craftsperson and like nobility through work and those sort of things like the way that those were kind of are at the time and are still like kind of leveraged for like commercial purposes that are outside of you know whether it's like selling jeans or selling car insurance or like just this like i think post uh i don't know post like financial like it was around the financial recession when like all of a sudden like bankers were getting fired and like starting wood shop like woodworking shops and um <laughs> and just this i after having like worked for six years like in industrial production i was kind of like fuck that like i don't really think i think i want to like have a more nuanced conversation about what it means to like work with your hands and like do you have a choice about it like is it even though like i do ceramics like um should like should like it's <laughs> like the idea of like passion work um like i would have discussions with my boss at heath about like he was he would be like oh you're not like passionate about your job here and i'm like oh i'm like so passionate about it but um it's also a job and like even though it's like a ceramics job like you know i can still it's still like it's my job like like i love it i hate it you know like so just, just like trying to have a more nuanced conversation about that stuff so part of in an international ceramics park one of like the features of the town was this like potter's pension and trust building um and it was clad like my kind of idea was that like oh the pension was funded through the sale uh the sales of like advertising space to um to people on the building so like the building was clad in signs that everything from like tylenol to like um uh like physical therapy devices to like help your hands like <laughs> hands and uh there were like Im images of like famous crafts people um, and then like Soylent, like, so just kind of like this tension between like, like, uh, you know, this like hyper-capitalism, like stay at your desk, like eat your lunch at your desk and then like slow work and just trying to kind of like bounce those things off of each other, um, in a way. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, those were like some of the ideas bouncing around for that project. I love that that park has a climbing kiln. For <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. It has like this, yeah, it has this climbing kiln that the exhaust, the heat exhaust from the kiln, like goes through a swimming pool and heat, <laughs> and heats the pool out of the chimney. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I really love it. That was part one of our interview with Alex Reed. Come back for part two.